0: And they look at these beautiful young women, they do not see predator.
1: But judges in the United States fastidiously avoid law enforcement training.
0: Y'all, you deserve professional hair color that makes you look your gorgeous best delivered right to your door. You can take your hair coloring at home to the next level with Madison Reed, and it starts at just $22. Women have had two options for coloring their hair for decades that at home color you got out of a box that's outdated, or going to the time and expense of a traditional salon. Many clients of Madison Reed comment on how their new hair color has improved their lives. Women love their gorgeous, shiny, multidimensional, healthy-looking hair. This is game-changing color you can do at home. And you'll look like you just came out of the salon. Madison Reed Color is unique because it's crafted by master colorists who blend nuances of light, dark, cool, and warm tones, and they create over 55 gorgeous multidimensional shades. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com. Best case worst case listeners get 10% off plus free shipping on their first color kit with code best case. That's code best case. Hello and welcome to Worst Case Scenario, a special feature of the podcast Best Case Worst Case. I'm your host, Francie Hakes, former state and federal prosecutor, and I am joined by my co-host
1: Jim Clementi. How are you doing, Francie?
0: I'm good, Jim. It's great to be in LA together in the studio.
1: Absolutely. to have you back on the warmer coast.
0: It is a warmer coast and we are talking about hot topics today so Mm -hmm. that brings up um, this idea that we've had. All of our listeners have said that they'd like us to discuss current topics and I think what it secretly is, Jim, is they just want me to pick your brain.
1: Is that what it is or (laughs) do they want you to argue with me, Francie? Because you seem to do that very well and very often.
0: Well, what's funny is I think most of our listeners tend to take your side, which just makes me happy.
1: Oh, I'm sure it does, because <laughs> all you want to do is see me happy, don't
0: you, Frank? I don't mind being contrary, I think uh, is the point, Jim. There you go. So this is our second in what I'm calling our series on power position predators, those who take advantage of the vulnerable people, children, men and women over whom they have power. And our topic for today is going to be those who work in power positions in schools, coaches, teachers. And I think, Jim, one of the things our listeners have actually written us in about is what seems almost like an epidemic of female teachers sexually victimizing male students.
1: Well, it seems like an epidemic because people are talking about it more, but I can guarantee you it's it's not. I mean, I have the stats from 2014, all right? I mean, three years ago. Okay, I'm ready. 781 teacher or offender cases reported in the United States. 66% of those were male. 266 of those offenders were female. In one year, in the United States, reported cases.
0: Well, and you and I both know, Jim, that child sexual abuse is underreported anywhere from 75 to 90%. I'm incapable of doing that reverse math, it. but it just suggests to me that when you're talking about almost 300 women, you're talking about hundreds well, more if than it's
1: that. 90% that haven't, been, that haven't been reported, that would mean that that number should be 2,660 instead of 266. So... If those numbers hold out, there are almost 3,000 female teachers who are molesting kids a year in the United States schools.
0: Well, and maybe that doesn't fit the actual definition, maybe that the CDC would use of an epidemic, but to me, getting Google alerts and reading about these cases on the news like our listeners, it certainly feels like an epidemic.
1: right, but what I'm trying to say is it's going on forever. It's not something recent. It's something that people don't talk about. It's something that when you look at the history, going back to cases like Mary Kay Letourneau, when you know she molested at 34 years of age, started having sex with a 12-year-old student, that's rape. And it's been going on forever. And as I mentioned last time on, on her show, this goofball... Barbara Walters called it a wonderful romance. She was celebrating their, you know, anniversary when, in fact, Billy was the victim of rape. And that's just not something you should be celebrating.
0: Well, and I think that plays into the question about bias in society and in the media when you're talking about male victims. Someone like Barbara Walters, who is an ignorant idiot, as we all know, from not just what she did in that case, but in her uh, 2013 interview on The View of Corey Feldman, where she just looked askance at him as as if she were appalled he was even disclosing his own child sexual abuse. The media frequently calls these kinds of cases, like the Laterno case, sex romps when the victim is male, But I promise you, they do not call them sex romps when the victim is female. And, of course, they shouldn't be calling any of it sex romps. It's all child sexual victimization.
1: Right. And, you know, it just goes to show you that people have a double standard. I mean, they really believe that if a boy is sexualized early, it's not a problem if the offender is a female. But they don't feel the same way if a female is sexualized early by a male. Uh, They feel that's horrible and horrific and disgusting and a crime, But when a female offender offends against boys, a lot of times they don't even get a slap on the wrist.
0: They don't. And I think we've got a lot of listeners on this podcast from the UK. So this will, and I'm sure they've all heard about, or a lot of them have heard about the case, of Alice McBrady. It just came out recently. She's 23 years old. She's a teacher. She was sexually victimizing a young boy in her class. She would take him to hotels for sex and perform sex acts on him in garages and in her car. Well, the judge said, and I quote, What boy would turn down such an attractive offer? Because Uh Alice is an attractive person. What judge would say that?
1: An ignorant judge.
0: But what judge would say it if it was a girl victim? None of them. and so i I just think it's appalling and worse than that jim was the reaction online i looked very carefully in the articles i was reading about the case i looked at the comment section and the vast majority of the comment section said things like the teacher should be knighted not jailed so she should be made a knight of the realm a a very uh, high honor in the uk she should be knighted instead of jailed and the boy should be congratulated. This kind of attitude is exactly why Michael Jackson jurors don't convict Michael Jackson, why Corey Feldman doesn't feel like he can name his abusers, why we have such a problem with as many as 2,000 women in this country victimizing boys that are in their care in a year that are in their care as teachers. Because of this attitude, this attaboy attitude, like If your first sexual experience at the age of 12 is with an attractive female teacher, lucky you.
1: Yeah, well, what they're not taking into account is what I've learned in my work with the malesurvivor.org organization, that I've spoken literally to hundreds of men who have had difficulty throughout their lives forming attachments, trusting relationships with women because their very first encounter with a woman was with a teacher or a trusted adult female who took advantage of them sexually and then left them and destroyed, broke their heart, destroyed their trust. And it, it's, a, it's the same exact kinds of things that happen to females who were sexually victimized by males. And if we don't wake up and realize that and start treating these cases exactly the same, all we're doing is hurting our future males, and they're going to be hurting other people. What? I mean... They can't form attachments the way they could normally. It's a terrible thing to have been done to them, and they need help.
0: Well, of course they do because they're victims, but our society and the media, I can't tell you how many letters I've written and how many comments I've made to media organizations every time they describe one of these as a sex romp, and yet- as recently as this week, I read about another one, and that's exactly how it was described. It's never described as a rape or assault the same way it is if you've got a male teacher and a female student. And let's take a male teacher and male victims, for example, to see if there's any contrast there. And there is. Just recently, a man named Deontay Caraway, who volunteered at a Maryland school, was prosecuted not just by state authorities for abusing boys in his care, but by federal authorities because he was filming those sexual assaults and putting them up on the Internet. So he had the physical sexual assault charges, the child pornography production charges in federal court, And he's gotten a combined sentence between state and federal court of about 170 years. He's definitely coming out in what our listeners might recognize me call a pine box sentence. Mm. He's coming out of prison in a pine box. He abused multiple boys. So he's gone to jail. But female teachers who do exactly the same thing oftentimes are getting probation. You and I both know of a case, Jim, where there was a teacher named Pamela Rogers. Right. She was abusing at least one, and it turned out later, multiple boys that she was teaching, she would have sex parties, so they called it, over at her house where she is sexually victimizing multiple boys who were 12 and 13 years old. What was her sentence, Jim? Now, first I should tell our listeners, she is a very, very attractive blonde woman, young, late 20s. What was her sentence, Jim? Do you recall?
1: Her sentence was nine-month probation, and during that nine months of probation, she was prohibited from having any contact with any boys, and she ended up sexually victimizing a girl during that time.
0: So she's a dangerous sex offender. right?
1: And then there's always Brenda LaFave, and they could be twins. Her and Pamela Rogers could be twins. Um, They're both very beautiful, in traditional sense, women who took advantage of boys that they were teaching and they sexually victimized them. And yet they got slaps on the wrist.
0: No. And you contrast that with cases like, for example, there was a a very winning girls basketball coach at a private school in Indianapolis named Kyle Cox. He was caught because one of his 12 year old victims, her father was looking at her phone and saw explicit sexual images going back between his daughter and the coach, and vice versa. So he brought it to the school's attention, who eventually brought it to law enforcement attention, and Kyle Cox was prosecuted by the U.S. Attorney's Office. He got a 14-year sentence, Jim. 14 years. He had three victims. Pamela Rogers had at least three victims, both boys and girls. She got probation. Right. Why the double standard?
1: It's all based on our looks. There's absolutely no uh, no difference. Judges think that because you look that way that it's actually an honor for the victims as opposed to a horrific crime committed against them. It's just outrageous.
0: Well, it is, Jim, and this is where I think as, you know, sort of my putting my former prosecutor hat on that I think prosecutors are well, I hate saying this, falling down on the job. Because they're not, in some cases, appropriately educating the judges about child sexual abuse, about male victimization, about the fat impacts on boys being similar to, or at least as bad, as the impacts on girls. You've got depression, suicide attempts, all of the same difficulties that girl victims have, boy victims also share. And I'm not sure that our prosecutors are doing a good enough job to educate. And for those prosecutors who are listening, I know I've been written in by several of you. I'm not blaming all of you. I know that, in fact, a lot of you are doing your jobs, and it's just these judges who are not listening to you. So please don't believe that I am simply pinning all the responsibility on you. I'm definitely not. It is, But it is your responsibility as prosecutors to make sure that you are educating the court and that you are not recommending Probationary sentences for female offenders just because their victims are boys. Yeah. That's outrageous. Or,
1: and, or because they look beautiful. I mean, in Brenda lefave's case, she pled guilty, right? And she was charged with two counts of felonies, and she pled guilty with having sexual intercourse and oral sex on four different occasions with the boy. And she got no jail time.
0: No jail time. No those jail. are, the, I mean, the, those are clear child sexual assaults and she got no jail time freaking
1: rape it's just outrageous
0: well of course it is and and a man in her position no matter how handsome would definitely be going to jail and he should but the double standard is outrageous
1: Back in 2011, she was actually pregnant with twin boys.
0: From one of her victims?
1: No, from somebody else she was going on in her life with. But I'm just saying, you think these boys are going to be safe with her?
0: Of course they're not. And that's another bias in the system. We heard, and I don't want to give it all away um, because we've interviewed a guest recently who was talking about this in particular. We haven't released the episode yet. But that is one of the problems when you're talking about stay away provisions and these offenders, like the case you just mentioned, the the Pamela Rogers case, she was ordered to stay away from boys under the age of 18. But who thought it was okay for her to contact girls under the age of 18? The judges, the prosecutors, the probation officers, are they just not educated enough in how to educate the judges, or is it just the judges who have, who let's just be honest, Jim, I hate to say this to you, but oftentimes these judges are white men, older white men, and they look at these beautiful young women, they do not see a predator.
1: Okay, well, here's the thing. In my entire time of working in the FBI, 22 years, and training 60,000 law enforcement professionals, during the last 12 years while I was in the BAU, I never once trained any judges in this country. I trained judges in foreign countries, lots of judges, because they came to the training. But judges in the United States fastidiously avoid law enforcement training. They they just, they don't want to hear it. And it's just there. there's a judicial college and they go to there and they don't get any kind of information that would bring them up to speed on child sex crimes or sexual victimization crimes.
0: No, and that's why one of the most important things in this country currently that is incredibly underfunded are child advocacy centers. Because the the seven to 900 child advocacy centers that exist today in this country, which is a sad, tiny little number compared to the number of children who could use their services, are full of experts who, when they exist in the community, could provide that kind of education, at least during a trial, how children disclose, what are the sentencing, what are the impacts of the effects of this kind of victimization on the child at issue, or boys in general, or girls in general. They have all these kinds of facts and figures, but so many jurisdictions do not have access to those kinds of experts, Jim. And I think it's one of the reasons why these women are getting away with raping boys and not going to jail.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just sad. I I I can't explain why judges don't want to do it. I mean, I have no problem with judges listening to law enforcement experts as well as defense attorneys. I don't care about that because I know what the facts are and I think that judges should also educate themselves about the facts. But I also think that part of the problem is that They just feel like they would be biased by it, and so they want to be impartial. But judges are the ones that should be—they're making the ruling in many of these cases, and they're sentencing in almost every one of these cases. And it's just sad that victims have to go on without getting any justice because the person who offended against them gets to walk away with a slap on the wrist or with encouragement.
0: Well and that's the that's exactly right Jim and it brings up one of the things that has always driven me crazy and that is the great Nelson Mandela said there can be no keener revelation of a society's soul than the way in which it treats its children it's my favorite quote of all time and in this country and in many countries around the world children have no voice they have no lobby <laughs> they have no vote They have no power. And so not only is their power stripped from them by the people who are offending against them, but the justice system is also rendering them powerless because the justice professionals involved, the judges, don't take it upon themselves to understand the dynamics of the offenders and the offenses that are coming before them in court. And that is shockingly wrong. Mm -hmm. And I think it is just a sign that our society devalues or undervalues certainly children when it comes to victimization. I mean, we talked about it in our last Power Position Predator episode about the Michael Jackson case. But the juror in that case, I just find it I still find it shocking that the juror in that case that acquitted Michael Jackson said the reason was because the boy didn't cry fundamental misunderstanding of the dynamics of child sexual victimization, how children disclose, how they behave in court, and a great example of where a Child Advocacy Center professional, a a psychologist, a psychiatrist who treats children could have explained to that jury as an expert witness about flat affects and how children tell.
1: I was going to testify in that case to explain to the jury about grooming and about compliant victimization, and unfortunately, I was getting chemo during that trial, so I couldn't do it. But the fact is- I guess
0: that's a a good excuse.
1: Well, somebody should have stepped in for me. I don't know why somebody from my unit didn't do that. It's just ridiculous. But be that as it may, the fact is that it should have been done. It may have helped. I don't know, because trying to convict an icon is just very difficult. But you have the situation, the Catherine Gonzalez case. She was a fifth grade teacher. She went to jail, yay, for, for abusing an 11-year-old boy in her, in her class. She was texting the child at 3 a.m., and that's how the mother found out. And an 11-year-old boy, let's talk about that. 11 years old. 11. You know, it brings to mind that book, that hideous book, that somebody told me about, so I read it, about a 23-year-old female teacher who deliberately gets a job teaching 14-year-old boys so that she can break them in sexually, have sex with them, and that they will remember it for the rest of their lives. She's trying to scar them. And it is a sex novel. It is not you know, a look into the mind of a psychopath. It is a very deliberate, erotic novel meant to arouse the sexual attraction to 14-year-old boys.
0: Well, that author, Jim, ought to be investigated. Yeah. Because anybody who can happily and with that kind of description write about child sexual abuse in an erotic, uh, arousing way, in my opinion, is probably sexually attracted to 14-year-old boys.
1: It may very well be true. And... Just because it's a female doesn't mean it's not true.
0: No, and so that brings up a great point. One of the things our listeners always want to know from you, Jim Clemente, former superstar FBI profiler, is what's going on in their minds. So we've talked a little bit about the topic here of this worst-case scenario special being power-position predators. So these are women. Most people first don't even think of women as predators, but I think we've established here today, Jim, that they certainly can be. So explain to me what's going on in the mind of Catherine Gonzalez, a fifth-grade teacher who apparently finds 11-year-old boys sexually attractive. She knows it's illegal. She knows it's immoral. She knows it's certainly against school policy. But she aggressively pursues him anyway.
1: She most likely got the job, became a teacher— So she could get access to those kids because she's most likely a preferential child sex offender. She has a specific sexual attraction to children, to boys in that age group. Otherwise she would have been a ninth grade teacher or a second grade teacher. That age group must've been what she really wanted. And so she got into that profession to get access, authority and control over children. And Just so you know, it's the same exact sexual attraction that you and I have. The same exact thing. It's genetically part of her. But some offenders will fight that and resist it their entire life. Some, on the other end of that spectrum, will embrace it completely. Some of those offenders are specifically and exclusively only attracted to children. Others can be attracted to adults as well. Some, there are situational offenders who are in a situation in which they end up having sex with a child but don't fantasize about a child. I don't believe that's the situation. I don't think that's what's happening here. I don't think you turn to an 11-year-old because of that. That happens sometimes when there's extreme stressors in somebody's life or alcohol or drugs are used to lower inhibitions and things like that. But that doesn't sound like this case at all to me. It sounds to me like a deliberate, aiming it at 11-year-old boys, getting access to authority control, being in private with them, grooming them, and then having sex with them.
0: What well, reminds me of what some of my friends that I've worked with in the past, great forensic psychologists like Dr. Michael Cito and Dr. Joe Sullivan, who tell me that Their best approximation based on data is that approximately 3% of the population may very well be pedophiles, those with a persistent sexual interest in prepubescent children. And what's interesting is I think most of society just does not accept that women can be pedophiles at all. So you have, I think that's the attitude that leads to Pamela Rogers getting nine months probation. And while Catherine Gonzalez got some jail time, I think it was seven years, that's certainly not like Kyle Cox, the male teacher who got 14 in Indiana, um, or Deontay Carraway, the volunteer we talked about earlier, who molested a bunch of boys and got 170 years. I still think that fundamentally our society would much rather believe the old standby women, are like lionesses protecting their young, then they are willing to accept that women can prey on children just like men.
1: Right. Well, in that report in 2014, one-third of the offenders were females. One-third of the teachers who reported in 2014 for sexually victimizing kids were were females. And so, you know... It just shows you they are just like men when they are in this sort of predatory mode. They want to get access to kids for sex. They develop pathways to do that by getting a profession as a teacher. What better way? You're a trusted individual. The kids are told to listen to you.
0: It's a target-rich environment for them. You have
1: plenty of time to learn what their vulnerabilities are, what their likes and dislikes are, and you can play to them and groom them very easily. It's disgusting, whether it's a male offender or a female offender, and it should be treated exactly the same way.
0: It should be treated the same way. Of course, it's not treated the same way. You know, going back to a discussion we had on our first episode of Power Position Predators Worst Case Scenario, we talked about Jennifer Lawrence and her recent revelation that she was made to do a naked lineup when she was 15 years old and that there was a woman present, that, one of the, that there was a woman involved in forcing her to do it and in looking at the girls who were lined up on either side of her. I don't know who that woman was. Jennifer Lawrence sadly hasn't said. But I have to wonder, is that woman herself sexually interested in young girls? Why did she think it was okay to do that? why does society somehow both undervalue children and refuse to understand women who offend?
1: No good answer to that.
0: There are no good answers. And that's why, Jim, female teacher offenders are a worst-case scenario, not just for kids in schools, but for the whole country and really the entire world who are not paying enough attention as this goes on under their nose and as they discount the experience of sexual victimization of boys. And that's why I selected the topic for Worst Case Scenario.
1: Well, thank you very much, Francie.
0: Thanks, everybody, for listening. This was Worst Case Scenario, Power Position Predators. For now, Francie Hakes and Jim Clementi signing off. Thanks for listening.
1: Knowledge is power, and when we know the facts about sexual abuse, we can better protect kids. Darkness to Light has already trained more than 1.4 million adults to keep children safe from sexual abuse.
0: I'm one of those 1.4 million, Jim. Using their Stewards of Children prevention training, they give you and gave me the facts, tools, and tips I needed to help keep the kids I love safe and you can do the same with their Stewards of Children prevention training. Get trained today to prevent recognize, and react responsibly to child abuse in your community.
1: Learn more about Darkness to Light and child sexual abuse prevention at www.d2l.org. That's D, the numeral 2, L, dot org. Best Case, Worst Case is an XG production. Produced by Jim Clementi at Empire Studios LA. Engineered and edited by Terrell Parham. Music by Simba Sumba. And hosted by Wonder.
0: You can subscribe to Best Case, Worst Case on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, or your favorite listening app.